Well, today we return to our study of 1 Corinthians. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians, but with fits and starts because uh, we looked at it and then we've allowed our study of 1 Corinthians to be broken up by the church calendar. Uh, not for the church calendar's sake, but because the subjects that we were discussing were worth attention, be it Advent, be it a time of contemplation during Lent, or even uh, an extended view of the implications of the resurrection. You can't beat that. So it's worth doing that and using the calendar as a tool uh, to push us there. But we return now to our look at 1 Corinthians, and we're picking up in the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So in the one since we need to go back and just think for a second about what's happening in this book. Paul is dealing with a troubled church. You know, the Corinthians are one of those churches that make a lot of local churches feel real good about themselves. You know, it's like, it's it's, it's good every now and then for a church to preach through 1 Corinthians. You, you feel like, hey, you know, maybe we're not really that bad. Um, so they had, they had their issues, uh, as we've said. Um, and yet we've commented on the fact that Paul loved this church. As flawed as they were, they were like his children. He said, you know, um, and he's he's angry with them uh, as as parents get with children who, who sometimes uh, continue to rebel. And the, the Corinthians are going back and forth with him. They are being wooed by these false teachers that are coming in and um, undercutting Paul's authority. It's, it's again, it's like a, think about an apparent child relationship. You know, I just I had a uh, I just had a student come very late to Chapel Field who uh who came because they had a guidance counselor in their local school who was literally undercutting the authority of the parent. You know, the parent took away the phone and they said, okay, you're a, you're a young adult. Your parents shouldn't do that to you. Um, you know, they had curfew in the house. He kept telling the kid, you're, you're a young adult. You know, this shouldn't be the case. And then invite, you know, inviting her over to her house with her friends where they were having alcohol and these kinds of things and uh, just bizarre stuff. And the parents were like, we're done, you know, and as, as, as a, you know, I wish it wouldn't even have taken that long, but sometimes it takes things that severe. But what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? Undercutting the authority of the parent. But that's what these false apostles are doing. They're coming into Corinth and doing the exact same thing. Well, what do you mean Paul told you that? What does Paul know? Have you seen Paul? Have you listened to Paul talk this? He sounds like he knows what he's talking. You know, that kind of stuff. And they're undercutting him while he's away. He's ending up in prison. You see what happened? Have you gotten the news on Paul where he is? I don't know if you've heard, but, you know, Paul's in prison out here. You know, it's like just constantly undercutting him. And and they're coming in with the glitzy, the shiny suits, you know, the, the fast talk. They know how to talk the talk. And the Corinthians are being snookered, you know. And they're, they're listening and they're starting to give some attention to these things. And Paul is writing back and, and, and calling them back to the gospel that was proclaimed. I preached nothing to you but Christ and him crucified. That's, that's the, don't worry about me. It's not about me. It's about the message of Christ and him crucified. And if you remember going back into our look at 1 Corinthians, then we picked up on that theme in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. And what Paul has been doing really through all the little odds and ends of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a book that you preach. Uh, actually, Diana, you you challenged me on this uh, one time, asking me in the back, hey, uh, I, you know, maybe sometime we would hear a sermon on this topic. I forget what it, exactly it was. And it made me think, yeah, you know, 1 Corinthians would be the book for that because there's so many little odds and ends and quirky things, implications of the gospel that need to be worked out in the life of the church. 
Um, and, and so you're responsible for getting us into this, okay? This is First Corinthians uh, situation that I'm in. Um, but that's because he's trying to teach the church what it means not to think like Corinthians, but to think like Christians. How do you think about your marriages? How do you think about your gifts? How do you think about one another? How do you think about suing each other and your rights? And how do we think about men and women? And But not as Corinthians, not as Greeks, but as Christians. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge for all of us. Because it's our, it's our typical nature to think as Americans. It's what we do. Our default, the, the thing that shapes our our thinking in so many ways is American culture. And that's not all bad. I'm not saying it's all bad. But, but we have to ask, as Harry Blameyer said in his book, The Christian Mind, what does it mean to think Christianly? Christianly, you know. Uh, he made up that word to get us to think, yeah, there's a Christian way of thinking about politics. There's a Christian way of thinking about economics. There's a Christian way of thinking about parenting. There's a Christian way about thinking about our work and our vocation. There are Christian ways to think, and we need to be so saturated with Bible then when we act instinctively, we're acting Christianly, not Americanly. Even though the American way may not be bad all the time. But we have to constantly guard ourselves that the Bible is what is primarily directing us and guiding us. Well, all that brings us to our text today in which Paul is, <clears throat> in this chapter, helping the Corinthians think about their church the unity of their church, but also their role within the broader community of the church with all the other churches that Paul is planting. And he runs this extended metaphor. It's a beautiful extended metaphor of the church as body, as a body. And he does this long contemplation upon a body. And and this is a beautiful thing to do. Um, You know, C.S. Lewis... C.S. Lewis once, I think, I, I know he wrote this to a young lady, a little girl actually wrote to him. C.S. Lewis was in the habit of returning every handwritten letter that was written to him. He would handwrite a letter back. That was his commitment. Every one. Now think about that. Um, and he was committed to doing that right, right to his death. <clears throat> um, and a young girl wrote him a letter where she sent him some of her writing. And he, uh, he read it. And wrote her back. Uh, it would be a beautiful thing to have some uh, some some criticism of C.S. Lewis on your writing, and she got it. Um, and what Lewis said to her, one of the criticisms he gave her was, "When you're writing, um, be careful not to over you know over tell the audience about things. Rather, describe things in such a way that what you're wanting to say comes across. You know, rather than saying, oh, they ate a delicious meal.'" Describe the meal in such a way that the reader will say, wow, that sounds delicious, right? Don't use adjectives when you can, when you can rather just describe the meal. Don't just tell us it was delicious. Show us it was delicious. You know, writers and so forth, they say this all, you know, show, don't tell. And this is something really worth keeping in mind for us as well when it comes to theology. When you're dealing with theological subjects, <clears throat> it, it's hard sometimes to define things. It's hard to just say what something is. But you can use a metaphor in which you can show what it is. And you could do a lot of wonderful description with the use of this metaphor. This is something we're going to see Paul do here. But I really encourage you as well, you know. Uh, Again, if, if I asked you what is justification, you might have a hard time 
defining the thing. You might stumble it out, but if you use the metaphor of clothing, you know, and you say, well, it's like Jesus takes our filthy robes and gives us his clean robes of righteousness so we can stand before God. Like you'd be able to say so much in, in, in a metaphor uh, that I just, I, I want to challenge you with that because I've been dealing with, again, my own students. We're at the end of our year and we're having our year-end comprehensive exams. They have to do, all the seniors have to do a half hour with me and, and our principal where I orally examine them, examine them on Bible and theology, you know. Um, so it's a little nerve-wracking and uh, for them. I, I enjoy the torture, you know, but they, it's a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> they, they, they're a little nervous, but, um, but, but yeah, you know, and, and they would struggle sometimes with the head-on definitions of things. But I throw them, I say, well, okay, and then justification is the one that's on my mind because they'd be struggling to say it. And I'd say, tell me about justification in terms of clothing. And they say, oh, oh, well, clothing, you know, it's a Jesus take, you know, and, and I, I've watched them do that, struggling to say something directly and describe what it is. But if you used a metaphor, things just came so naturally and so much is communicated in a metaphor. And I love that Paul does that here. How do we describe to you? We could go, Paul could write a big theological treatise with all kinds of abstract ideas, and it would be hard to understand. But when he says, we're like a body, I don't even need any words. I could just give that to you and say, the church is like a body. Go contemplate that the rest of the day. And so many of the things that he says here would come naturally to you, just with that metaphor. You know, it would help you because you start to say, hmm, in what ways is the church like a body? In what ways is it not like a body? And just that act of contemplation would be so worthwhile. But Paul does give us some of the description. And the minute he says it, it just almost seems so obvious. But it's really a beautiful way to do theology. So Paul begins here by laying out the metaphor for, so he's in this He's in this uh, little contemplation on the unit you can see up on top of 12. Spiritual gifts, unity, and diversity. So we've got these two things within the church. The church is united and yet diverse and complex in so many ways. This is the beauty of a church. And we have to be careful when churches start to become monolithic. Monolithic in age groups or monolithic in race, monolithic in wealth stratum, um, monolithic in terms of giftings, monolithic in terms of, you know, it's like the church is to be diverse. And so Paul's in the midst of that. He's just, the beginning of chapter 12 was all on them. Now he continues and he turns to the metaphor of the body. For as the body is one and has many members, so he he points us to our human bodies and he says, look at your body. It's a single thing. It's a single unit. For as the body is one and yet has many members, I've got all kinds of different parts that are united in this strange organic whole. Things that are very different from one another, you know? The eyeball, this gelatinous lens, ball lens that, that, that lets me see things compared to, you know, my, my hands. Uh, very different in bones, you know, and, and so forth, and inner organs, and, and fingernails, and hair, and just all, skin, all, all these things, yet somehow they are organically united to one another in a cohesive whole. And Paul's going to say, yeah, that's the church. That's what the church is like. That's what this little 
church is like. For as the body is one and has many members, but all members, all the members of that one body being one, uh, being many are one body, so also is Christ. And now notice he just says this body is Christ. He, he links the church as a body so intimately with Jesus Christ that he could just say the body is Christ. Because we are called the body of Christ. And even in that, even in that bit about marriage, you know, uh, when, when Paul goes on in Ephesians 5 and he uses the image about, you know, husband and wife and, and the bridegroom and the bride. And he says, this is a, this is an amazing mystery. What I'm actually talking about here is Christ and his church. And that's why he says the, the husband will love his wife because no one ever despised his own body. The two become one flesh. That kind of intimate union of Husband and wife is what is true between Christ and his church so that the church and Christ are, if you will, one flesh. That kind of union. So that Jesus can say when he meets Saul on the road to Damascus and knocks him to the ground, he can say to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting my bride? Why are you persecuting my church? Those would all have been fine. No, we wouldn't have flinched had he said it. But he didn't say that. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is the union that is there between Christ and his church. It's hard to see where the one ends and the other begins. Now, we know the church doesn't die for the sins of the world. That's not what he's saying. What he's speaking of here is that Christ so loves his church, Christ is so united to his church, that it's very hard. In the world's eyes, how can you distinguish? And that's why Jesus in the parable in Matthew 25 says to the sheep and the goats, inasmuch as you did this to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. To love the church is to love Christ. To hate the church is to hate Christ. John puts it in his way, in his epistle. No man can say he loves God but hates his brother. If you love God, you will love your brother. You can't love the God you don't see but hate your brother you do see. Again, that kind of union. This is where we have to be careful. And this is a very popular thing within our culture right now. Church membership is on serious decline within our culture, right? I don't need to be part of an institution. You know, I don't need to be part of this. I don't need to be part of that. You know, I can do that. You're getting a lot, especially after COVID, a lot of church at home stuff, right? We're just gonna, we're gonna sit here. We're gonna watch our service because that's really what, as long as we're, as long as we're hearing the word or as long as we're getting some Bible or we read Bible together as a family, you know, all these kinds of things, very dangerous. Very dangerous because in that way, we're despising the church and we come up with some idea, well, we are the church. The church is just every believer. And there is a certain truth to that, no doubt. But Paul is speaking about something much stronger. He's talking about the institutional church here. He's talking about a body. He's talking about membership within a community, that that community is the body of Christ. And we ought to be careful pulling ourselves out of that body, out of that, that unity, that membership there. We have to be very careful of that. Just like we would have to be careful about losing a part of our body. 
when things get disconnected from this body, they die. Right? They die. They fall. You, you, you get disconnected from the whole. You die. This is part of the contemplation that we have here on the body. You know, and the, the, the early church got this. You know, St. Cyprian said, you cannot have God as your father without the church as your mother. That was a very famous thing. He said, Augustine, Augustine played off of that and said, there is no salvation outside the church. Now, he didn't mean literally you couldn't become a Christian unless you were in the church. But he, what he was saying is the church, it, it's the, the, the maverick Christian is a real anomaly. It's like the church is the ark and you're going to try to swim it alone. I don't know. You know, I wouldn't do that. You know, like if I'm in there, I tell you, I, I don't think that's a good strategy. You know, we're going to leave Egypt on our way to the promised land. You got Moses and the gang there. We got the tabernacle here. We got bread falling out of heaven over here. We got water coming out of rocks over here. We're winning battles by lifting our arms. That's how we're doing it. And you're saying, no, hey guys, I'll see you. I'll meet you over there. I'm going to, I'm going to go this way. And you're like, yeah, but you're going to be going through the land of the Amalekites and there's not a lot of bread out there. And you know, we have quail just like falling down here. You know, this is where, this is where it's in this body that God is providing. Victory and food and discipline. It's, it's here that we'll make it across. And he said, well, I'm going to swim it alone. But, but maybe it's part of the American mentality. It's certainly part of the modern mentality where we all just think we're in this own little kind of, we're all doing our own God thing. We all have our own little relationships with God and we're all just, do, so when we get to church, we're all just kind of here doing our own thing, but with each other. And that's just not how the ancient church, that's not how the medieval church, certainly not the Reformation church, thought. The church is a body. And you need to be connected to that body because it's Christ's body. Christ is married to this bride. Not just to a bunch of different individuals who all kind of believe the same, same stuff, but to a people. And I think we really have to stress this in a, in a culture in which it's, it's severely diminishing. So Paul brings us, you say, well, Bill, how do you know he's talking about the institutional church? Because it goes right to an institutional thing in verse 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Your baptism is something the church administers by the authority of Christ. Baptism is a formal, sacramental, institutional thing. Now, again, typical American stuff, we just do it wherever. Oh, you you're, you're happen to be on a trip. No, if you've done this, don't be mad at me. All right, you're on a trip to Israel and you're at the Jordan. You're like, what the heck? Let's just get baptized. You know, no, that's not how baptism, you know, that's not how baptism. Now, if you did that, if you did that, we'll talk later. Don't pick up stones and throw them. You're like, wait, that was the highlight of my trip. All right. Bill's just up here ruining everything. All right? But, you know, we, do, we, we view baptism this way. It's like, oh, we're here. What the heck? Let's just do it. You know, we'll do it. Um, uh, and, and that's not how baptism works. You know, it's baptism, baptism needs to be done in and through the church because it is bringing you into a covenantal relationship, like a marriage. Like you get married, you get married on a whim out in Vegas, just saying, you know what the heck, listen, you want to, 
Yeah, let's do it. You know, and you walk into that little chapel and get married, you're married. And now that comes with all kinds of responsibilities. And there are consequences if you want a divorce and, and all kinds of things about who possesses this and who possesses that. Like it's a legal deal. It's a weighty thing. And baptism is also this. You're baptized into Christ. You're baptized into this covenant community. And that comes with wonderful privileges and beautiful promises, but also with weighty things as well. Judgments. Judgments. To whom much is given, much is required. This is an institutional, sacramental thing that Paul is talking about. But he's not doing that to threaten them. He's saying, guys, hey, guys. The reason we're one is because you were all baptized with water. You were all baptized in the triune name. From all your diverse backgrounds, you all came in the same way. It's like saying basically, hey, all of us, I don't care, you know, the wealthiest wealthy person or the poor beggar on the street, we were all born of a woman. You know, we, we all were born, we come in naked, we go out, you know, it's like that kind of thing. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, we all came in the same way. Whether you're an apostle or, or whatever you are, whatever you could put down on the lower thing within the responsibilities within the church. We're all baptized in one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. We've all been made to drink here. Perhaps he's referring to the other sacraments of the Eucharist into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So now, all right, now he's going to launch into this issue of what does it mean? So let's contemplate now, Paul is going to say. So first we have the idea of a body into which we are a member or not. Okay? Our, our own confession would use like there's no ordinary salvation outside the church. It's a dangerous thing to swim in alone. Let's put it that way. It's a dangerous thing to try to say, I'm going to make it to, I'll see you out there in, in, uh, you know, in Jericho. I'll meet you on the other side. No, that's a dangerous thing. Be part of the body. So first, let's establish that. It's important to be a part of the church formally. Now let's contemplate what it means, the body. So first he turns to those who might think it insignificant, who might think they don't have a lot to offer. I'm not the significant thing, right? What am I? I'm not a pastor or a teacher or this or that. Paul, Paul pushes back very hard on that. Don't say, well, because I'm not that, I'm not important. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not part of the body, is it therefore not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? See, so Paul is saying, hey, be careful you don't say, well, okay, I see the pastor up there or the elders doing this but I'm not that, I don't, you know, I, that's not how it works within a body. Think about all the things that make the body be the body and be a healthy body, right? The head is Christ, it does its thing, but within the body, all these little things, some very visible, right? Our hands are right out there, they're prominent. They do all kinds of things. Our eyes are prominent, our mouth is prominent. But my goodness gracious, you know as well as I do, every little cell. I mean, that's why the body is such a thing of wonder, right? 
because within the body, the complexity of everything that's going on, it's, it's actually sometimes I don't like thinking about it. Because I think I could die any moment because I'm like, it's like when you're flying an airplane, you know, I have my pilot's license and you're flying and then you start thinking about the, the engine actually running. And I'm like, all right, don't, don't, think, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Like, it just seems like how can it run at these RPMs this long? Something's got to go wrong. And so you try not to think about it. And I feel like that with the body. It's like when I start thinking about my heart beating and then I, I get nervous, you know, um, because so many things are happening behind the scenes to make the body healthy and function. And so it is within the church. Here's the point, everyone. The church needs you, right? The church needs you. It needs you doing your part, large or small, seen or unseen. You know, some of you within this church, many of you within this church are prayer warriors. You know, you just, you're prayer warriors. You pray. And that's not always visible or audible because it's being done behind the scenes, you know? And yet it is of such power within the kingdom, but it's not a, it's not a, it's not a position of prominence. Some of you are doing things behind the scenes, sending notes to one another, encouraging notes of love uh, to one another. You know, if somebody needs something, you're doing it, Never, no recognition, it's just done. These are things within the church that like within the body, you just don't even see it happening. And yet it's keeping the body healthy and alive for the glory of God. I often think that when we get to heaven on that great and glorious day, and the Lord is, as he says, judging each man according to his works and handing out crowns, if you will, that the, 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 the people of, who you will see elevated to places of great prominence and glory for, for their sacrificial, will be, you, will not, you will not know any of their names. You know, you think, oh, it'll be the Billy Grahams of the world. It'll be, and, and I'm sure Billy Graham will be on. I, I don't know. But the, the, he'll, he'll just be washed over by the number <clears throat> of, quote, unquote, ordinary saints who were doing their task, the, using the gift God had given them within the body. So, so this is the encouragement to you to say, to say, know your gifts, find your gifts, and find that basically in the opportunities God gives you and be faithful in those opportunities and trust that he's using it for the health of the body. So first he speaks, if you will, to the, to the lesser. And, and lesser I put in air quotes because what's that even mean? You know, what, what part of my body is less than another? You start taking things away and it gets ugly pretty quickly. You know, we, we, we see that in our own lives. Now he turns to those in more prominence perhaps. But indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye, the, the, this, this position of prominence, dare not say, cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and on our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. We, we don't cover our eyes lest anybody look upon them. We, in a certain sense, he says, the parts of our body which are not seen have a certain honor. They're hidden away. We cover them. Some parts of our body we do intentionally for modesty. And he's using that as a metaphor to say, hey, these parts that are in the background, those parts that are hidden actually have greater honor. That's why we cover them. We cover them. And so it is within the church here. Again, the parts that aren't seen actually 
turn out to be pretty darn important just as, you know, take an organ out and see how you do. But the organs, how many, how much credit do they get? You know, you see a beautiful person, you say, wow, you have really beautiful eyes. No one says, wow, you have a really beautiful gallbladder. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like the, the poor gallbladder just, you know, it, you don't know it until you get gallstones and then you hate on it, you know? But, but, but the, but the gallbladder is doing its thing faithfully, you know, if you still have it, it's still doing it every day. And so, again, we are members, and he's challenging those who might be tempted to despise. And this is the kind of thing that was happening in the Corinthian church, and it's the kind of thing that can happen in an unhealthy church. You know a church is unhealthy when you start, you know, people start getting elevated within the church above others. There starts to be a little oligarchy within the church. You know, these people start to have power either because they've given a certain amount to the church or they do certain roles within the church. You see this in so many churches, and it's a real sign of problems and, and lack of health within the body. But when you see a church functioning, if you will, firing on all cylinders, to change the metaphor, but when you see a church in which every person is doing their, their part and it's making for and we rejoice not in any one person, but we rejoice in the health of the body, then we've got a church, I believe, that is honoring Christ. And you know, Paul in Romans 12, which was our word of exhortation today, actually even takes it one step further that he doesn't say to the Corinthians. If you go back and read the little passage on the body in Romans 12, he says, for the church is one body with many members and each member, he says, is a member of one another. That, that even takes it to another level because what he's saying there to the Romans is, it's not just, oh, we're this composite being of a bunch of different parts all globbed together to make a body. It's much more intricate than that. Each member is a member, not just of the body, but a member of one another. You are a member of me and I a member of you. That is, I depend upon you and you depend upon me. It's not just we're all kind of contributing to this large thing called the church. Down even on the micro level of our little congregation, but then as individuals within this congregation, there is an organic unity between us in Christ and in love, a love that bonds us together and makes us part of one another. It's very organic and beautiful. So again, this just strikes against the idea that we are a bunch of marbles in a bag, you know, all kind of trying to love Jesus and get to heaven, right? That metaphor has got to go. The idea that we're all in this individual thing pursuing God. It's not just a large group of us trying to make it to Canaan, right? It's that we are an organic body moving toward Canaan and we are members of one another. And therefore, it's very important that we love one another, that we guard how we treat one another and how we care for one another. And that's why he's going to say, now in verse 26, he kind of gives us the implications. Therefore, or and, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. That's what Paul says in Romans 12 as well. Let us rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know this, just strike your thumb with a hammer and see if the other parts of your body start chuckling. You know, they, they, the rest of the body doesn't go, oh man, stinks to be the thumb. I'm glad I'm not the thumb right now. You know, the whole body's like writhing, moan, you know, we're falling over, we're, things are coming out of our mouth, you know, all kinds of things. But, but it's, it's like, yeah, because that it's, it's an organic whole. It's like one part of the body suffers. It's, it's felt through the whole body. 
And if one part of the body is honored, if the body, if the person is honored, the whole body is, is elated and celebrates and rejoices. And so it is with us in the church. You know, your burdens cannot be your burdens that I look from a distance and go, wow, stinks to be that person right now. You know, it's like, no, that we're members of one another. Your pain in that sense becomes my pain. Your troubles become my troubles. This is why we share prayer requests. We don't do it just to kind of get the local news and we got the gossip fodder for the next week. It's like, no, we we share prayer requests because your burdens then, wait, oh, that's what you're struggling with? Wait, we haven't gotten Jennifer's test results back? Okay, I can I can get under there. I can bear some of that load. I can be praying for Jennifer and for Jerry and Grace, you know. We hear, oh, we have a praise report? Oh, something wonderful happened? Yeah, we, yeah, we, we don't, we're not filled with envy over that. We celebrate it because it's part of our family, part of this body that that is celebrating and therefore the whole body feels that. And that's why Paul can say to the Corinthians, we're sorrowful yet always rejoicing. It's like because within the body, there's always both going on, you know? Within the body of Christ, there's always something to grieve, you know? And yet at the same time, there's always something to celebrate and to rejoice in. It's, it's, the, it's the amazing life of the church. We're grieving on the one hand, we're rejoicing on another, we're rejoicing in the midst of our sorrows. It's a complicated dance that we have, but that's how bodies work. You know, that's how bodies work. It's complicated. It's not, it's not a machine. It's an organic living thing. And this is what the church is. Complex in its diversity, but united in one in Christ. Now, I won't extend into where he's going here because it's going to be the next few weeks as we next week we talk about the classic chapter on love but then he's going to go into some of these gifts because what the Corinthians are doing now is they're using their giftings they've been blessed apparently with gifts from the Lord and by the Spirit but they're using these gifts as alienation devices you know they're using the gifts to prop themselves up over others or using the gifts to say oh well I don't have that I'm not as great as that person and so Paul turns now And he says, now, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. That's, I think, where Paul would say to the Romans, and members of one another. But uh, So you're, you're all individually members of this one body. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, that's like saying, is everybody an I? It doesn't matter that Paul is an apostle. He has a certain authority within the group. Authority doesn't mean more important. Authority means responsibility. It means a certain responsibility. The father sends the son. The son says, my food and my drink is to do the will of my father. Father, not my will, but your will be done. It does not mean the father is more important than the son. Because as our Westminster Shorter Catechism says... They're equal in power and glory, right? They're one substance. The father and the son are equal, and yet the father sends the son, and the son does the will of his father. So authority, when he says are all apostles, what he's saying is apostolic authority doesn't mean more important or better or we don't need you, right? Again, just like the hand or the head or the eyes can't say that about the body. Are all apostles? Rhetorical question. Obviously, no. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? 
No, we don't. We don't. Some have this gift, some have that gift. And what we'll spend in a few weeks is thinking through the biblical understanding of some of these gifts. Because he says, it's good to desire the best gifts. We have to ask what that is. But I will show you a better or more excellent way. And he's going to get into that now in the next chapter. We'll look about that next week in the chapter of love. You know, you know what's better than whether you have this gift and you have that gift and I can do this and God's given me to do that. You know what the best thing is? Love. And if any of our gifts cut against that, if any of the gifts kind of get twisted back into self-glorification and self-exaltation and distinction and separating out the body, if that happens, then Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians 13, it's worse than nothing. It's, it's, it's like a clanging symbol. It's, it's horrible. That's not what the gifts are. All of this is meant to be brought in love. All right, so charge to us today to reflect on, I, I really encourage you to contemplate and play with because that's what metaphors are meant to do. They're meant to be tossed around and looked at from this angle and that angle and to think about what it means that we as a church here at Affirmation are the body of Christ and what it means for you individually to be an organic member of that body in terms of your responsibility for the health of the body, but also the privileges you have to be part of the body, the very body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you so love your church that you would call it the very bride and body of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us find our identity within that body. That Father, you would not allow us to become maverick Christians out on our own, pursuing our own individual relationship with you, for you have identified yourself with this people. And to despise it, to turn from it, to reject it, is to reject you. And so we pray that you would help us here at Affirmation to be a healthy body. Help each one of us here to find our gifts, to use them in opportunities that you provide for your glory and for the health of the body, for love for our fellow members. And may our unity, as we've already contemplated, Lord, may our unity within this body be a chief witness for you and for your Son throughout the world. For we ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.